John chapter 8, verse 1. So at the end of chapter 7, when it says, but here, uh, end of chapter 7, there was quite a discussion between Jesus and the religious leaders. And, um, they were out to kill him, and he called them out for it. <clears throat> and when uh, the religious leaders' plan for officers to go arrest them didn't go the way they wanted because the officers were so blessed by Jesus' teaching that they, they, when they came back empty-handed, the religious leaders said, what, where is he? And they said, we never heard a man speak like him before. And uh, they they start they start uh, berating them, uh, uh, just beating them over the brow and saying, oh, have you, are, are you deceived also? You know, wh what are you doing? Have any of us trusted in him? Do any of us follow him? You know, what are you doing? And Nicodemus says, to them, you know, does does do we judge? Does our law judge somebody before we hear them? And they turn and they insult him. Are you, oh, you're a Galilean. Are you a Galilean too? So they're hurling out insults and they're they're belittling uh, anybody who showed any type of support or belief in Jesus. Um, and we ended the conversation with that type of thing uh, being said, and then everybody went to their own house. So when it says in John chapter eight verse one, but Jesus. Uh, just understand that there was a, a time of confrontation uh, between uh, Jesus and what he uh, had to say and and and, uh, uh, and then the people's response to Jesus. And uh, so when it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, that's where we're uh, coming from. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Now, uh, after that great argument, um, the uh, discussion of whether he was from God or if he was a fraud, the religious leaders had uh, just uh, tried to belittle everybody. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're at a point where they go to their homes, but it says that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and uh, now, early in the morning, he came up into the temple. So early in the morning, Jesus is there teaching. Jesus, God in the flesh, came here on a mission. You know, when, uh, especially in, in December, there's a highlight of the Savior that came to the world. And uh, many will say, oh, the baby born in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. That baby, those were true circumstances, but that baby grew. And uh, he had a lot to say, and he did a lot. Unfortunately, this nation doesn't know uh, very much of what he had to say and very little of what he did. <clears throat> but Jesus came here on a very serious mission, very serious about ministry and saving the lost. And what we see here is that he went there early in the morning and that those who heard him were blessed by, by hearing him the day before, and uh, they were serious about hearing him. So Jesus is serious about ministering, and, and these souls are, are hungry, and they're thirsty for him. Now, he had just called out to them back in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. It says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Jesus is making a bold claim here to fulfill the spiritual needs inside of any man and any woman. And uh, he longs to do so. You know, there, when Jesus you know, said that uh, when he cried out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, how I've wanted to take you in, but you were not willing. Wanted to take you under my wing, but you weren't willing to do so. God, as a loving father, wants sinners to come to him. The one that is ruled by sin, that sin inside them and their enemy that's ruling over them, does not want them to understand that there's a loving God that will that can cleanse them and heal them uh, from uh, everything that sin has done in their lives. Cleanse them from that sin and free them from the sin. There's no freedom uh, there. You know, you don't want to hear this. You know what he has to say? Is that really going to be enough? Is Christ really sufficient? That's what our enemy will say. Try to keep us from Christ. He longs. He longs. But that's a lie. It's a lie from Satan. He longs for us to come to him. That, and you know, I've, heard, I've said it before, but uh, you know, I've heard it said to me uh, just as I was growing up and, and new in my faith, but uh, had uh, started walking with the Lord and trying to invite some family, some loved ones. Why don't you come to church? And oh, I can't go through those doors. As soon as I do, it's going to fall down or, you know, it's going to, you know, the building's going to catch on fire. You know, those, those things. And they're saying it to be funny, but there's a, they, they're, they're afraid of, of uh, coming and finding out that they're uh, in the situation they're at. They know they're, they're that condemnation. Sin brings condemnation. And we're going to get into this here. I'm getting a little ahead of my my notes here, but you know, Romans 8, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. If we are in Jesus, that condemnation is not there. The enemy does not want them to come into those. No, 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 you can't go into there. Those are for the good people. Those are for those people that have it all together. No, <laughs> not so much. This is a hospital. Should we as Christians mature in our faith? And have things behind us? Absolutely. Are we perfect? No. <laughs> no, there should be that, that maturity that comes uh, and that we should not be walking in, in uh, weekly or we shouldn't be stumbling all the time. Uh, not that we should settle and say, hey, you know what? Stumbling's okay. It's not okay because it's hurting us. Those stumbles, that's when we pray, Lord, help me not. To, when, when we read in the Psalms that, uh, David's writing, Lord, uh, that, that, the, that the Lord would broaden his path that his feet may not slip. You know, that, that we, as we're walking with the Lord, would just grow stronger and uh, just be focused, not turning to the left or right, but our eyes focused on Christ. The enemy doesn't want that. So he does what he can to try to deceive and say, no, 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 no you can't go into church. You can't go there. It's just full of, you know, uh, all those uh, hypocrites. Yep. <laughs> yep, it is. Come join us that the Lord might save us. Not that we would accept hypocrisy in our life. That shouldn't happen. But th that hypocrisy should not be part of our lives. But we were hypocrites. We were those, a hypocrite, as, as Will has taught us over the years here. Um, those that wear a mask, those actors that would wear a mask were called hypocrites. And uh, pretending to be something they're not. Let that not be said of us, but at one point we were. And, uh, you know, uh, this place is full of sinners. You know, it's just uh, we, we are clinging to him and we know we need to gather. Uh, as the scripture tells us in, in Hebrews uh, 10.25, not to forsake that gathering together. We have to gather together. 
We're blessed to have the broadcast here, but that gathering together is what the Lord wants. So come, all you sinners, right? Come. Jesus is, is, is saying, you know, when he's crying out, we just read those verses. He stood and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Anyone. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He's, that's, that's important to understand. Anybody. Anybody thirsts. He can meet that need. There isn't anybody that's done too much. I'm too much of a sinner. Anything like that. We Yes, we need to confess our sin, forsake it, no longer return to it. But understand that uh, none of us, you know, as, as our enemy will try to convince us, you're too bad. No, you've done too much. No, remember those, those drugs you sold? Remember that, what you did in college? Remember that, what you did yesterday? No, you can't go to church. You've got to get it together first. Once you get it together, then you can go, knowing you'll never get it together. We get it together by coming to Christ. Because he says, if anyone thirsts, if anybody has that need, let him come to me. You know, that it's not, if anyone thirsts, go get your life together. And when you're perfect, then you can come to me. And uh, no, it's very much uh, the, the opposite. So as Jesus is ministering, and uh, these people come early in the morning. We know that the religious leaders are growing more annoyed. And uh, they're seeing people come to him. And those people are yearning to be set free by the truth. And Jesus and his teachings are a threat to the religious leaders that are oppressing the people. And he called them out for it several times during his ministry. And uh, he, uh, he would say that they, they would put burdens on people that they themselves wouldn't even lift a finger to try to, bear, or try to carry. And that they honored their traditions over the word of God. Uh, he had pretty stern rebukes for the religious leaders. And uh, when we see them, they're coming in here in the next verse. They're coming here. They're afraid of their power and their money being stripped of them. That's where they're at. And in their... Uh, you know, power, hunger, and and uh, money. Uh, you know, their hunger for money. Uh, he's threatening all those things, and uh, them and their they and their self righteousness are in a spot where they're opposing him. And and uh, Jesus, as we see here in verse two, is in the temple, taking the position of authority, sitting and teaching. And uh, now that's opposite of the way things are. Uh, we have people that teach here. Uh, and when you're the teacher, everybody sits and the teacher stands. And that's this culture. The teacher sits and everybody stands and gathers around them. Verse 3. Then the scribes and Pharisees. So everybody's there. They want to hear from Jesus. He's teaching, speaking to them. Then the Pharisees come and interrupt. Then the Pharisees and scribes, uh, scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her first. 
And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Might be a familiar Bible account. Very powerful. We see that as Jesus is teaching, this group of religious leaders found an opportunity to present a woman caught here and showing no regard for Jesus and his ministry because they had rejected him. The scribes and Pharisees, they bring it, uh, this woman in and they interrupt everybody's learning and his teaching. It's another attempt for them to publicly catch Jesus because they want to arrest him and, uh, and, and to dis or even just discredit him because as it says there, they were trying to catch him in something. So they expose a woman's sin publicly and humiliate her. And they cite Moses' law, and they were right. Moses' law says in Leviticus 20, verse 10, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. That's, they, they were right when they came to Jesus and they had this. Uh, and, and they were saying these things. You know, this is against the law of God, and it should not take place. And the Lord made it clear to Israel that when they took over the land, they were not to partake in the sinful acts of the Canaanites that were there before. And the Lord made this a part of the list of things not to do. These are sins against him, and they're sins against uh, a husband or a wife. And the Lord made it clear that it should not be a part of their lives. And, you know, this is included in that list of things that should not be done. So based on the religious leaders' approach to what's uh, happening here, they weren't concerned with her, uh, and they weren't really concerned with Jesus as much as they were trying to trap Jesus. They brought this all together saying, hey, we caught her. We're supposed to stone her to death. But wait a minute. This is an opportunity. Why don't we go see what Jesus has to say? Maybe we can catch him. Because he's, he's been talking all about forgiveness. And he's been healing people on the Sabbath. And uh, maybe this is a way uh, to get him. Maybe this is a way we're going we're gonna to finally get him. You know, it's an, an interesting way to think they're going to they're gonna get, uh, get Jesus. And... You know, and uh, so they come up and they say, hey, Moses' law says this, but what do you say? And they, ah, you know, they're wringing their hands. Oh, yeah, we got him. We got him. Maybe a guy back in the, hey, hey, watch this. Let's see what he says. They're ready. So their intentions are evident, you know, based on their question. John makes it clear in verse 6 that they said this to test him, trying to find an accusation. It's interesting when you look at the story that she was caught in the very act. By who? Now, we just read in Leviticus, Leviticus 20, verse 10, a man and a woman are caught in adultery. And it says that they both shall surely be put to death. Where's the man? 
you know, they brought this woman. I'm guessing they might have known him. Not scriptural, not anything. My opinion, they might have known this guy. Might have been a prominent leader. Don't know. It's just speculation. Might have been somebody that, that they would say, hey, you know, you know, we'll deal with you later, whatever it is. Or, hey, you know what, we'll turn a blind eye to that, but she's, we're taking her. And they bring her, and how did they catch her? Was she set up? We don't know. You know, this is, uh, you know, they're pointing to Moses, but they're neglecting half of what Moses said. They know what Moses said, that the man and the woman were to be put to death. But what were they doing? They were, they were trying to obey half of what's being said here. Don't know the reasoning behind it, but I suspect might have been somebody they knew. Adultery is a sin. Sexual intimacy is designed by God to be between only between a husband and a wife. Not before, not outside of marriage, after marriage. When marriage has happened, that man and that woman can consummate and become one flesh. Not outside of set, not outside of marriage. One husband, one wife. It's exclusive. The Lord made that. This woman's guilty. You know, we don't know where the man is, but he's guilty also. They're both guilty. But the woman is brought here, and the the question is posed to Jesus. They bring up the law, and the question is, you know, what do you have to say? And they're trying to catch him right now. They didn't expect Jesus' response, where he ignores them, bends down, starts writing in the sand with his finger as though he didn't hear them. So they continue asking him. You know, uh, he lets them get it all out. I love that because it says right in verse in verse 7. I, gotta, I, I, flop, I flipped it over here, but. So when, could, sorry, when they continued asking him, he raised himself up. They kept asking. They kept asking, so Jesus raises himself up. And the response is something that shook them to the core, shook this woman to the core, and uh, many sinners for the, in the last 2,000 years. And he says to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he continued to write on the sand. and He didn't say they were wrong. He didn't say they were right. Let's go do this. He just, you know, puts his finger on the heart and conscience of each man by just saying that line. He was without sin among you. Let him throw a stone at her first. And then we see here that as these men start thinking and they start reflecting, their conscience is struck. Understand that the word of God is powerful. I'm going to read uh, Hebrews uh, 12. Uh, 4 verses 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. Look at this. And it is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God, when Jesus spoke these words to them, it pierced their hearts. And when it pierced their hearts, they had to reflect on their own sinfulness. Hey, any of you who are without sin, 
be the first one to throw the stone. Now, in this culture, and, and uh, that very much rejects Jesus, this is often misquoted. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, you're going to throw a stone at him first? Judge not. You know, those, those things that get said, <clears throat> important to understand, has to be kept in context. Jesus is saying that's very, very important for us to, to, when things are quoted, especially misquoted, we are, we know the scripture and are able to give it in proper context, not do it, not doing it. Oh yeah. Well, that's really, let me, you know, that can be annoying and it might shut somebody right off, but we have to be able to know and understand the scripture and, and correct when this is misused. <clears throat> so they're forgetting all about their plan now. To catch Jesus. Jesus just lay, just sits down, starts writing on the sand. They keep asking, what do you have to say? I imagine they're getting mad. They're getting angry. And Jesus just stands up and says, let he was without sin throw a stone at her first. Now they're forgetting everything. The plan, uh, what they had come to do, uh, they forget her sin. And now things are, now they're looking in the spiritual mirror. And now overwhelmed by their own guilt, it says that one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they all have nothing left to say, and they just walk away. From the oldest to the youngest. Now it's the power of the word of God. That those oldest had lived long enough, and they'd gone through life and understood, I didn't do everything right. When we're young, I'm right. I'm right. I can't be telling you, right? You guys know, teenage those teenage years, early 20s, we're invincible. We know everything. It was the older gentlemen that were there that were convicted first. Dropping the stones, spiritually, you know, thinking of that that way, just walking away. They've got, you know, they're, they're ready to take up those stones. So in their minds, oh, wow, I can't hold that. <laughs> I can't hold that condemnation. I'm a sinner, too. And they all turn around in their own shame and they walk away from the oldest, those who had gone through life and said, you know what? I've done things wrong too. Maybe they'd done the same thing. Just didn't get caught. We don't know what it was, but they were all convicted of their own sin. And we see the power of the word of God changing the whole situation. They forgot about their plan. They forgot about her sin. They all find out that, that, that you know Jesus has presented them with something that they can't get around. And from the oldest to the youngest, they all turn around and walk away. So they all left while Jesus was, uh, you know, it says that he, he, he said that and then started writing again. And uh, so now as Jesus is writing, he's hearing footsteps walking away. No longer hearing any footsteps, the Lord stands up and he, he uh, sees the woman there and no one but her. And he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. There's a lot of speculation, a lot of uh, questions. Nobody can say for sure what he was writing. But I believe it was something to do with what was happening right then. Might have been their names and what they did wrong. Their own sin. 
you know, might have been, I highly doubt that it was something like a grocery list. Hey, when we get out of here, you know, I need these guys. Hey, you know what I was writing over here where these yahoos are doing their thing? Uh, you know, we got to get some eggs and bread. And, and uh, he, he wasn't doing that. He was something significant. Just don't know what it was. Someday we'll know. You know, we'll be able to go, all right, what was written in the sand? Was it adultery? Was it thievery? Was it uh, murder? Was it whatever it, it was written down? You know, uh, was it um, lust? You know, remember Jesus set the record straight that if you were to look toward a woman with lust, uh, lustfully, then you've, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Sin is a condition of our heart. So we don't know what he wrote, but he wrote, uh, he wrote something down. Ultimately, when everybody left, it's just Jesus and the woman standing there, and you know he asks where the accusers are. You know Now he has the opportunity, through grace and mercy, to minister to her as a sinner. He once again, as he did with the man in the pool of Bethesda, privately and personally addresses her sin. Now remember, after healing the man of Bethesda, he went away carrying his mat, all the religious leaders. You can't do that. It's the Sabbath. Well, the guy who healed me said I could. Who healed you? Jesus. Oh, he didn't know. And then uh, Jesus meets him, and they, they cast him away. Get out of here. And he goes to the temple, and Jesus meets him there, and they have that conversation. Hey, you spent 38 years there. You know, go your way and sin no more. You know, there was that, that conversation Jesus had with him privately. He does the same here with her. Everybody else is gone, and he personally addresses the sin in her life. And she knew she was guilty. Everybody there knew she was guilty. Jesus knew she was guilty. I'm guessing at this point she's melting with emotion. But it's just standing there by herself, not saying a word until Jesus said something to her. And when Jesus asks her the question, she just says, No one, Lord. And he says to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go, you, go and sin no more. He asked a question with an obvious answer. Here's an obvious answer. Where is everybody? You know, is, uh, you know, where, you know, when he asks her, you know, where are those accusers? Has no one condemned you? They're all gone. So the question, like, are all your accusers gone? Yes, they'd all left. But he's using that situation. Hey, they all brought you here with an accusation. Now they're all gone. Is there anybody here to, to, to accuse you? I know you're guilty. You know you're guilty. Where are the ones that are accusing you? that are here to condemn you. He says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Condemnation wasn't what she needed. She already had that, right? We all know when we get to a point, we find out about, you know, we, we may go, we all have within us a conscience. We all know right from wrong to a degree in our, we, that, that, that it's written on our hearts. We have a conscience. Every person is born and, and, and grows to learn a conscience of right and wrong. And uh, then for those who understand the word and know it, we, the, line is, the lines are drawn and we understand them. So she already knew she was condemned. And there was, there was uh, you know, nothing there for her uh, and nobody there for her. She's standing there alone. She already knew she was condemned. Everybody knew it. And... Uh, you know, it was uh, that conviction, the grace and mercy, and by the word of God, that nobody expected that changed this whole situation.
and changed her life. She's standing there with Jesus, condemned, knows that she deserves death. And Jesus said, you know, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus tells her to go her way. You know, and, and uh, this wasn't Jesus sweeping the sin under the rug. He had already addressed the sin in her life. He didn't say, no, 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 no. She hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, you know, you guys are, are out of your minds. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, are any of you guys sinless? And they know they can't say yes. So they leave. He doesn't look at her and say, you really didn't do anything wrong. Our sin needs to be confronted and addressed and forsaken. It has to be. The Lord did that, but in grace and mercy, he's addressing that. When we come to the Lord, he already knows what we're going to ask him. You know, the Lord knows our hearts. And it's not like we can hide our emotions from God. He knows us better than anybody ever would here. And uh, you know we, we can't hide anything from him. So Jesus is, it tells her to, to go her way and sin no more. And uh, he, he, he very much addressed the sin, but in the way that nobody expected. And he had dealt with it as only God could uh, that changes her life and our lives forever. John 3.16 is something that uh, I, I believe pretty much all of us here are probably familiar with. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.17 goes on to say, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He said, Neither do I condemn you. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him. Guys, the world's already condemned. We're already condemned. To, to the, the, the destination of the sinner that dies without a relationship with God, and that's hell. We're already on that path. For anybody who hasn't accepted Christ, they're on that path to destruction of their soul. Separation from God forever. And when we see something so beautiful as the Lord saying in John 3.16, that whosoever will believe in him, whosoever, when they've gathered the information, Come to the point of understanding I'm a sinner, I'm in need of a Savior, I need to confess and forsake my sin and walk with Christ. There's the choice there. Am I going to confess the sin and walk away from that and walk toward the Lord, or do I want to stay here and reject God? Those crossroads, you have to choose one or the other once we hear the truth. Jesus did not come to condemn this woman, didn't come to condemn us, came to save us but that the world through him might be saved, right? John 3.17. I already quoted it earlier, like I told you. Uh, Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This woman's life was changed by Jesus. And he told her, I don't condemn you, go your way and sin no more. She, being freed from her sin and the penalty of her sin, could walk away knowing that whatever just happened in her life and the sin that, that reigned in her life is gone because she now stands in Christ. Matthew 11, 28 verses, uh, 11 verses 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
God is gentle. See how gently he dealt with this whole situation? Complete opposite. These guys were ready to stone this woman. The complete opposite. They are ready to fulfill what was said in the law and to publicly execute this woman. Jesus comes in and his gentleness, writing on the sand, says one thing to them. They all go away and in his gentleness takes care of the whole situation. Still addresses the sin, still addresses uh, the, the need uh, the, uh, the, the need for the sinner to hear that they're not condemned in him. Luke 4, uh, 18, Jesus quoting Isaiah 61, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and, to reco and the recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's a messianic prophecy from Isaiah 61. Speaking of who the Savior was and what he was going to do. That's the man, God in the flesh, the Son of God. That's what he did there. Preaching the gospel to the poor. Do you think that woman might have been a little brokenhearted over her situation? She's facing death. She's facing an embarrassment publicly. She's going to be known as the adulterer in town. And Jesus heals that broken heart. Proclaim liberty to her who was, she who was captive to her sin, just like he proclaims liberty to us. He's the only one that can. That freedom only lies in Christ. We can, we can do our best to, to try to do things uh, on our own, but understand that it's, it's Jesus that gives the freedom, that gives us the power. You remember back in, in Genesis when the Lord is having a conversation with Cain where the Lord rejects Cain's offering and accepts it uh, from his brother Abel, and Cain is angry. And the Lord is explaining to him that there's a problem with Cain's heart. He says, sin lies at your door, and then he tells him that you can't let that sin reign over you. You must reign over it. Shortly after that, we read that he didn't, and he went and killed his brother. Sin lied at the, lying at the door of the heart of every man and woman. Can't let that sin reign in us. We have to proclaim liberty in Christ and turn to him. We can't continue in our old sin and say, well, Jesus covered it. I can continue in this. He's not going to care that I'm having sex outside of marriage. He's not going to care that I'm doing uh, this or that and those things. No, proclaim liberty from those things, right? He told her, and neither do I condemn you, go your way and sin no more. The sin was dealt with and you, gotta go, you have to turn from it and go in the power of him and sin no more. This is our Jesus. This is, this is our Messiah. This is our God. This, what, we just, what we just witnessed, this woman who was guilty, that was deserving of being stoned to death, along with the man who wasn't brought into the picture. She's brought alone, helpless, hopeless, nothing to save her, nobody to save her, except for God in the flesh. And how does Jesus do it? With one line. He was without sin. Well, you'd be the first to cast a stone. Then he can stand and privately minister to her heart. It's the way the Lord likes to do it. 
He likes to minister to our hearts specifically. And he's the only one that can. Privately. That he puts his finger right on the sin in our lives and says, that right there. Let's talk about that. What's, you know, there may be those that, that were condemning you. Understand, doesn't care about all those. I'm not here to condemn you. But you need to turn from that. And there's freedom in me. As Christians, we're called to conduct ourselves differently, to be like him, understanding that we may have new brothers and sisters in their faith. We may have somebody who hasn't come to faith yet that we're ministering to. We can't expect them as a Pharisee or a scribe back in the day would to know the scripture and conduct themselves as such. Oh, I know the scripture. You, I can't believe you're a sinner. I can't believe you're doing this. No, we can go to them and say, hey, can we just have a talk? I know this is what's going on in your life. And it's not what God wants for your life. This is something that's, that's going to destroy your life. As it was going to destroy mine. And it, might, it doesn't even have to be the same sin. Guys, um, speaking to a loved one uh, recently. And I shared the testimony of Brian Garrity. He put it on Facebook and he was just explaining. He had been through uh, years and years of drugs and, and uh, drugs and uh, uh, going to jail and stealing and all the, you know, the crime that went through all that. And I shared that with somebody. And I heard from that person that was dealing with an addiction that, yeah, that's the only person I'm going to listen to, someone who's been through it too. Guys, we've all been... Uh, mastered by sin. We've all had sin reigning over our lives at one point. We don't have to say, well, I didn't do the same sin as you, so I can't minister to you. Sorry. You know, or convince ourselves of that. There's freedom in Christ, and when we've accepted that freedom in Christ, we can share that with anybody in any situation. Whatever the sin is. Whatever it is. We can just say, yeah, I haven't been there, but I've been under that, that cruel reign of sin, too, in my life. And I know what it did in my life. May not have done it the same way as you, but sin ruled in my life as it does in yours, and I want to see you freed from it. There's freedom in Christ. 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26, explain how we as Christians should conduct ourselves Specifically with this, correcting those, uh, well, let's just read it. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. I'm going to read that one more time. I know you see it there, but read it slowly. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. The snare of the devil. That trap, snare is a trap. They've been trapped by the devil to do his will, that they would be free. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, 
If a man is overtaken by in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Jesus said that, that neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. And we read in John 3.17 that he didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Who are we to condemn people? Sinful, sinful people that were redeemed by Christ. We can't have the approach of, what are you doing? You're an idiot. Well, sometimes it comes to that with somebody that we know should know, but don't get me wrong. Uh, there are some times that we need to be harsh with correction, specifically with those who are in the church and know better. That we can, that we can say, but in the spirit of gentleness, it says here, is the way we're supposed to approach it. We know somebody that just is being a knucklehead. Sometimes, you guys have read Nehemiah. Nehemiah punching people in the face, grabbing them by the, plucking their beards out. You know better. Don't go doing that to each other, please. All I'm saying is that for those that know better, don't accept uh, the sin and turn to it. And, you know, faithful are the wounds of the friend, right? Proverbs says, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Somebody who's willing to say, please don't walk around punching each other, but to say the thing, hey, you know better. Instead of saying, hey, I know you're not doing, I know, uh, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to turn away. Act like I don't see it. When we know that the Lord, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, hey, you know that's happening. You just heard that this is happening in that person's life and you're not doing it. You, I'm, I'm telling you that that person needs to hear it. You need to go over and gently, it says, if overtaken in a trespass, if anybody's overtaken in a trespass, you were spiritual, spiritual, uh, restore such a one who uh, in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. That we would go in a spirit of gentleness and say, I, I can't ignore this. The, the, spirit, the spirit is telling me to come talk to you. I know he has, so I have to share this with you. Can we pray together? You need to turn, brother, sister, whatever it is, from whatever it is, and turn to the Lord. If they reject you, they're rejecting God is what's happening. They're hearing the word of God, and then it's the, it's then their responsibility to respond to it. This is for the brother or sister, the one in Christ that is turning back to uh, the way they're not supposed to go, turning back towards sin, and when we're trying to correct them. We might be a little more pointed with somebody, but we can't expect a lost world to conduct themselves as Christians. Can't get there. Because, as we read in Timothy, these people have been taken captive by the, by the enemy to do his will. Don't believe that? Look at pop culture right now. Look at the songs. Look at the lyrics that are out there. Not just today. Back when I was a kid listening to that junk. It was awful. Awful. Glorifying sin like, oh, yeah, this is it. And if you're not here and you're, oh, goody two-shoes, don't want to follow the Lord. Uh, if you want to follow the Lord, oh, yeah, well, yeah. Then, then you kind of get pushed out of that, that culture. There is, there's absolute wickedness running rampant in this country. We are called to be salt, to be light. You know, we're not called to walk around with a bat just smacking people. It's not what we're called to do. Called to be salt, light, and that the evidence of, of our um, walking with Jesus would be the way that we conduct ourselves, the words. And what did Jesus do? He didn't stand up and start threatening everybody. He just stood up and just said, you know, there's sin in your life, in different different words. Sin in your life, and you're here bringing her. 
and then go your way and sin no more when he, he addresses that condemnation. I don't condemn you. Now, God's grace and, minister, uh, and mercy will minister in a greater way than we can. Extend grace, understanding the need uh, for the lost to hear the gospel and extending grace and mercy. Not pointing up our nose at them going, oh, I'm so glad I'm not one of those, like the Pharisee and the, and the sinner. That sinner that was trying, they're, they're both standing before God. And the Pharisee stands up and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this man. You know, I tithe. I do all these things. I go to church every week. I know I, I, I'm, I attend Bible study. I might even teach a Bible study. Uh, I do this. I do that. I lead worship. I'm not like this person. You know, when, when, when that pharisaical heart is being declared and then that sinner, that's, that it's, the way Jesus was saying is it couldn't even lift his eyes to the Lord. It just says, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinful man. And he explains that the sinful man that couldn't even ask but from a broken heart cried out for him to be changed, that that man went down justified from that, that, that place of prayer. It's about humility. It's about extending the love and grace of Christ. Understanding that's what we want, right? That's what we want, and that's, that's uh, what changed our lives, is that, that God coming and that, uh, that he's uh, just the one that came to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, that he's, he's gentle, as it says in Matthew, I'm gentle and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. You know, God is so gracious, so loving and merciful. You know, us sinners, we may not have been in that same situation where everybody was ready to physically kill us. But we have uh, an enemy that's ready to take our souls. And if there's sin that's not repented from, repent from it. Turn to the Lord. Understanding that he has so, something so much better than what this world can offer us. Whatever is taking over us. Understand that and know that Jesus came to save sinners, not to condemn. We can share a gospel of salvation. Not I'm better than you. I've got it all together. I can't believe you're a sinner. Uh, get out of my presence. It's Jesus saying, you know, come, come to me, all you who are thirsty. You know, and he just, he's, he's awesome. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, this uh, account that we can look at and understand more of who you are and who we are and our need for you. Lord, that we wouldn't have the hearts of Pharisees trying to point out everybody's sin. Walking around and, you know, with a huge plank in our eye trying to find splinters in everybody else's. But Lord, that we who have accepted your grace and mercy would be changed by it and would be dispensers of it. Sharing it with the lost world. Understanding where we came from. Not forgetting that we were once just as sinful and, and hopeless uh, without you. But remember that you loved us just as we were. You had died for our sins and you've died for everybody else around us sins, uh, their sins. And we ask you, Lord, to use us to share the gospel, open opportunities that we might proclaim it uh, in all that we do and say to everyone around us. It would be very evident that we're walking with Christ. Not as we're better than anybody else or 
uh, with with uh, you know eyes and and words of condemnation, but pointing people to you, the Savior. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.